for The Daily Princetonian, I'm Vitus LaRue. You're listening to Daybreak. Today on Daybreak, we cover a column calling for the end of restrictive early action, a walk-up protest, quote, in solidarity with Palestine, updates on the Washington Bridge closure, the election of Mike Johnson as Speaker of the House, and the potential de-escalation of tensions between India and Canada. It's Thursday, October 26. In his first column, contributing columnist Brian Hegarty discusses his view that Princeton's restrictive early action emissions contributes to the inequality that is present in the emissions process. We sat down with Brian to learn more about his position. My name is Brian Hegarty. I am a contributing columnist in the opinion section. What do you write about restrictive early action in your column? In my column, I argue that Princeton's admissions office should get rid of restricted early action. I think that restrictive there being the key term actually deters applicants from applying. And by having a restrictive process, you essentially deter students who can't pass through the early application cycle without the safety of having backup schools other than public state schools from applying to Princeton. And because of that dissuasion, I don't think that we should keep a restrictive early action system. I look at data from Ivy League schools and from other private universities, which shows that in the early rounds of admissions, whether that's early decision or early action, or in the case of Princeton, restricted early action, early acceptances are higher. Now, students, college counselors, parents know that going into the application process. So they tend to look towards those early rounds as a way to get around the increasingly low percentage of acceptances at these top tier private institutions. So students hoping to take advantage of that higher acceptance rate at multiple schools will look away from Princeton and instead turn towards other Ivy Leagues, turn towards MIT, where they know they can apply to a restrictive school and also have a chance of taking advantage of higher acceptance rates. So why does Princeton have restrictive early action instead of early decision? The thinking from the Princeton admissions office, along with Yale and Harvard, is that by enabling students to back out of their acceptance if they are accepted early, they're giving students a liberty. The actual motive might also be related to yield rate. When you have restricted early action, the yield rate of your college goes up. For schools like Princeton, Harvard, and Yale to be considering yield rate, I think is a little bit absurd, considering their high rank and their prestige, yield rate is usually used by universities to draw in applicants. But when you have such prestige as these top three colleges, they really don't need help getting their name out there. In your column, you say that this contributes to inequality within the admissions process at our university. Do you think this applies solely to the Ivy Leagues, or do you think it it represents a broader problem with admissions? I do think that it represents a broader problem with admissions, where Students going into the admissions process from lower income backgrounds, from public schools versus their private school counterparts or students from wealthier families do approach the admissions process differently. Applying restricted early action represents a privilege, a privilege that applying to one school is enough and that you don't have to have backup options or safety schools in the early admissions round. And I do genuinely believe that people go into the early admission round with differing perspectives based on their income. I think it's especially prevalent when you have restricted early action. But that could be a case beyond the Ivy League as well. All right. Thank you so much. You can read Brian's column at dailyprincetonian.com or at the link in the show notes. In local news, a state official confirmed on Monday that the Washington Road Bridge Project is near completion. Since the start of construction on July 26, the bridge closure has caused traffic delays in the Princeton area of 15 minutes to more than half an hour. One reader of Planet Princeton told the publication that traffic jams have increased her commute from McCaffrey's on Harrison Street to Market Fair to 45 minutes. She stated that, quote, that is normally a 15-minute drive from Harrison to Route 1. The New Jersey Department of Transportation has determined that Washington Road will reopen, quote, sometime after October 31st. 
Yesterday, students staged a walkout protest at Frisk Campus Center North Lawn at noon. The protest brought a large crowd of students who held signs and chanted slogans. The walkout was met with a silent counter-protest from students holding Israeli flags and signs, one of which read, quote, family murdered by Hamas, with photos of victims. Following the walkout, the pro-Palestine group marched to Nassau Hall and dissipated afterwards. After 23 days, four Republican nominees, and four failed House floor votes, the United States Congress has elected Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson as Speaker of the House. Johnson won the Speakership with 220 votes, representing the entire Republican House caucus that was present at the time of the vote. In a speech following the vote, Johnson said that, quote, We are going to fight. We are going to fight vigorously over our core principles because they're at odds a lot of the times now in this modern era. Going on to state that, quote, We will defend our core principles to the end. Shortly after being elected Speaker, Johnson moved a vote on a resolution in support of Israel. He also called on Congress to address migration at the U.S. border with Mexico, as well as inflation and federal spending. Johnson is currently the Vice Chair of the House Republican Conference and former Chair of the Republican Study Committee, a group of fiscal conservatives. His record includes votes against certifying the 2020 election results, opposition to increased Ukrainian aid, and a strong history of opposition to same-sex relations. Johnson now has the responsibility to consider spending bills that will keep the government funded past a November 17th deadline and funding for military assistance to Ukraine and Israel. In international news, India eased a month-long visa ban on Canadian nationals entering the country this past weekend. Tense diplomatic relations between the countries were brought to a head last month when Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said that there were quote-unquote credible allegations of Indian government involvement in the murder of Ardeep Singh Njar, a Sikh Canadian activist. The end of the ban potentially marks a de-escalation of animosity between the countries. However, days earlier, Canada issued a statement saying that it is recalling 41 of its 62 diplomats in India, following India's threat to strip diplomats of their immunity, a possible violation of the Geneva Convention. India did not publicly mention taking away these immunities, but the country did say that they asked Canada to reduce its number of diplomats in India to match the amount of diplomats that India has in Canada. India has also said in a Wednesday statement that emergency services will still be handled by the Indian High Commission and consulates in Vancouver and Toronto. Canada continues its investigation into Najjar's murder. Expect some warmer weather. Today, it will be sunny with a high of 78 and a low of 53. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written by Maya Mukherjee, Sanaya Farrell, and me. Sound engineered by me and produced from the 147th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 22. For the Daily Princetonian, I'm Vitus LaRue. Have a wonderful day.